the free for all roundtable round two on round two today let's meet our contestants well, they're not really contestants. Our contributors, Pamela Palmater is here, lawyer, professor, activist, Tim Hudak, former leader of Ontario's Conservatives, and uh, Adjua Nsia Yabwa is here, News Talk 1010 personality and traffic expert. And actually, Adjua, I want to start with you off the top, just quick reactions to this report I was talking about a little earlier on the show, where they said that Toronto has the worst commute in Canada and the third worst commute in North America. I'm sure a lot of people listening right now are saying, something I don't know. <laughs> exactly. Uh, not shocked by it at all. Um, I'm surprised it's not in the world, but I know uh, California and I think it's uh, uh, Tokyo is uh, pretty uh, bad as well. I mean, LA as well as um, California in terms of all of the state. But yeah, it's, it's not surprising and it seems it's gotten worse. And you can tell after the pandemic, levels are actually worse than they were prior to uh, pre-pandemic pre traffic levels within the GTA. So not surprised at all that we're pretty high on this list. It's a combination of changing infrastructure, uh, taking lanes away so people are looking for arterial routes. And after the pandemic, a lot of people just don't want to get back on transit. They're driving more. So it's creating chaos on the roads, on the very little road space that we do have in the GTA. So okay. yeah, not surprised. Without going too, dar too much down a dark alley, though, uh, Tim Hudak, is there anything that can be done to you know, address this? Or do we just have to throw up our hands and say, that's it, life in the big city? Well, it's uh, it's tough to do anything in the short term, right? You can't can't build roads and transit overnight. Uh, but I think that you know, from the previous government to this one, and working with Mayor Tory, they are making substantial investments in in transit. You're seeing an extension of go and electrification to move more trains. I've been a supporter of Highway 14, 413 as well, which relieves some pressure in the you know busiest area in our highways up by the airport uh, where Peel and Toronto collide. So um, these things all help. But I think in the city itself, when you're doing more bike lanes and closing for construction, man, that's a nasty snarl that could have been avoided. And Pam, I don't know the nature of your work, how much time you spend in traffic, if any. Is this an issue for you? No, I primarily work from home or in First Nations across the country, so my travel's a little bit different. It's not downtown all the time, that's for sure. Um, but, but I... But I also think, you know, this we keep talking about post pandemic and we're still very much in the grips of the pandemic. And although governments and media don't really report on it a whole lot in terms of its urgency, um, individuals, I think the majority of Canadians and, and Ontarians, Torontonians know that that's the case and are very resistant to take public transit given that most people aren't wearing masks anymore so they they're taking their cars more than usual at least anecdotally that seems to be the case let me take advantage of you being here tim hudak and of course you're with the ontario real estate association there's a report out today that there's been a surge in home buyers trying to get out of deals they have made i have to imagine a lot of these are perhaps condo deals for towers that haven't even been built. But what's your intelligence on this? Yeah, that's exactly right, John. I actually met with some in the pre-construction condo uh, business just two days ago who talked about the phenomenon. What The risk here is that when uh, often you buy a, a pre-construction condo, you buy it in, say, you know 2021, you make the commitment that doesn't get built until 2023, 24, right, depending on the project. And a couple of things can happen in the meantime that we are now seeing. Uh, interest rates can go up, therefore the mortgage 
mortgage goes up. On top of that mortgage is the stress test, an additional two points. So your money won't go as far in fulfilling that mortgage as it would have in 2021. Secondly, others will buy condos, and then they'll do what's called an assignment. They'll basically resell it to another owner down the road, and they hope to profit from an increase in prices. That may have made sense the last number of years, but prices have actually gone down. This just reinforces when you're making this kind of purchase, you know, work with your real estate professional, work with your realtor who can walk you through all the potential risks in making the biggest investment of your life. Yeah, well, as the child of depression era parents, I just always prepared myself for the worst possible economy. And so, you know, I passed every stress test, I guess, as a buyer. Uh, listen, let's move on to a few other things, including a guy who stepped forward to actually say, yeah, that was me flying a Confederate flag from my truck during the convoy protests. So it was not a, as they call it, false flag operation made to look, uh, to make the convoy protesters look bad. Uh, Pamela, let me come to you on this one. Um, because I a lot of people still think that the Confederate flag is sort of, you know, just kind of goofy rebelness. It's misbehavior. And it's actually the emblem of a racist movement. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. And that's the problem when we don't teach our kids and university students this this kind of history, you know, because that American history is equally relevant because similar things were happening here in Canada, you know, under different circumstances. And so the fact that some people can claim that they don't know that it's is blatantly racist. They wanted to preserve slavery. Um, but there's a large number of people who know exactly what it is. The people in those far right groups, you know, white supremacist groups, misogynist groups, uh, y- you name it, there's a whole list of them. And so when they fly it, they're very much flying it with that racist intention, uh, wanting to make so-called America or Canada the way it was, uh, the way they want it to be. So uh, I think that, you know, that's a real issue. The fact that you know, the racism that it espouses. But then the other issue is really all of this misinformation. Nowadays, you know, these Freedom Convoy people, even their lawyers can make allegations around, oh, this is a provocateur, Trudeau's doing this and Trudeau's doing that. And with no basis of fact, no evidence. And this is just another circumstance where it's been proven that their claims have been false. Adjua, the individual is defending flying this flag. He says, uh, it's a sign of independence. I look at it as a rebel sign. In the biker community, a lot of people have Confederate flags because we're rebels. You guys are making it racist. No, it's racist. (laughs) Is Adjua there? Okay. Did she mute herself or has she uh, been disconnected? The vagaries of broadcasting these days. <laughs> She's okay. caught in traffic, John. Well, Tim, over to you then. You can fill in for Adjua for the moment. We'll uh, we'll see if we can revive her. I'm here. Yeah. I'm here. Oh, what was okay. your question? Sorry. I got um, booted. Okay. We were talking about yeah. this guy who insists that flying the Confederate flag is just sort of mischief. It's not hate. Uh I think he doesn't understand the history uh, in regards to it. Maybe he's he thinks it means something else. But if he understood the history, he wouldn't be flying that flag. Or maybe if he did, he would. But it it, it is sheer ignorance that he believes that uh, this is just something that is supporting being a rebel when that is not the case at all. The history is a dark one and it's entrenched in the U.S. history system against black people and against slavery and for slavery, pro-slavery, and if you think if you were somebody of sound mind that you'd be flying that flag. So, and it's just, it's just not a good thing. I think 
I know history and civics a lot of been taking out of take it been taken out of public education. I think this is the big a situation which is causing all of this where people don't understand their history. So we're resulting in a society where people can make up whatever facts they want that are not facts, they're just mm -hmm. feelings. In San Francisco, and we talk about this because, you know, it's one horrible video of horrible human behavior, but it raises a lot of issues that apply in any urban setting, especially here in Toronto. But a guy who owns an art gallery was uh, annoyed that there is a woman who's been encamped outside of that gallery on the street. So he decided to hose her down. And he's saying, he kind of regrets it, probably because it's going to destroy his business and his personal reputation. But, you know, he's not entirely filled with remorse. Let's I totally it. understand what an awful thing that is to do. Mm. But I also understand what an awful thing it is to leave her on the streets. We called the police. There must be 25 calls on the record. It's two days in a homeless shelter. It's two days in jail. And then they drop them right back on the street. This woman is, um, it's a very, very sad situation. And she's very psychotic. I find it hard to apologize when we've had no help on this situation. Uh, Tim Hudak, I, you know, anybody can sympathize because the, you know, homeless encampments are a blight in the urban environment. But to treat somebody with such callousness is appalling. Yeah, it, it is. And I don't mean to stereotype. I never imagined it would be an, an art gallery owner. And you wonder if they'll be shuttered with the negative publicity and then using that line that they find it hard to apologize. You did wrong. You, you apologize. You regret it and such. Uh, look, I, I, San Francisco has become sort of the, the capital of the clash with, uh, with the homeless population. They call them unhoused in California. You'll probably note that in the story. So that word is shifting. Uh, and along with other, you know, major West Coast uh, cities, and then this conflict is happening because police aren't doing the job. It's a whole, it's a runaway type problem. It's going to cause tensions. None of that forgives the action by the individual, uh, obviously, but it reinforces, you know, here in the province of Ontario, Toronto and Ottawa, particularly, to get a grip on the encampments before they get out of hand and cause uh, even more damage. It helps no one uh, at the uh, at the end of the day, and just contributes to uh, to urban decay. I, I I do worry about. Well, I'm, I'm glad to see so far the mayor has made decisions to make sure people aren't perma parked permanently in camps. Because when that happens in San Francisco, for example, a major real estate conference that was always there, a major one, packed up altogether, moved out of the city because of the homelessness issue. Uh, Pamela Palmater, I'll turn to you because there's, there's just a level of uh, inhumanity to this treatment. And I'm put to mind, bearing in mind that you are an Indigenous activist, I think of, mm -hmm. in particular, I mean, we have homeless Indigenous people in Toronto, yeah. but in Winnipeg, you know, it got to the point where police, for example, would pick somebody up in the middle of the night and drive them out of town and leave them by the side of the road and they would freeze to death. There's just, they don't even seem to regard these people as people. Yeah, well, that's why there was a Neil Stone child inquiry in um, Saskatchewan, and they do the similar things in Manitoba. They do similar things in Quebec, especially to women with police and sexual assault. So, you know, this, you know, this is not about urban decay. This is about the breach, the grave human rights violations of people of humans this is about human harm so the issue is not about whether this was annoying to an art gallery owner the issue was not only is it a, a human rights violation by municipal provincial state uh, government but it's also uh, an example of violence against women misogyny 
And an assault, and an assault, you know, with probably some other charges that could be added, and you don't see it being treated like that. The main focus is the art gallery owner and and whether or not he's going to apologize. He should, in fact, be charged for that. Who is he to determine that the woman's psychotic? Or who's he to determine that it's an issue for the police versus social services? And the fact that he didn't apologize just goes to show that, you know, that's the kind of person who would do it again when all of the other shop owners might have been annoyed by it but they got along well with her and you know felt for her situation he clearly doesn't thank you all good to have you tim hudak adjoy and celia bois pamela palmater leave you with a little jeff back as we clear the decks for the 9 a.m news and jerry agar Catch the round table, round one at 745, round two at 845. Weekday mornings on more in the morning. News Talk 1010 Toronto.